1: Let's get to some super chat, Sean. You ready to rock and roll with these? Let's do it. All right. So I'm actually going to flip it up a little bit. Let's keep people on their toes, Sean. I'm actually going to read the questions this time, and I'll let you kick off things with the answer. So we'll start off with my man DMND13. This is Notre Dame's best coordinator duo since when? Best head coach OCDC trio since when? Best overall staff since when? So let's start with the first part, Sean. Mm-hmm. This is Notre Dame's best coordinator duo since. When, nineties right? I
2: would say Alvarez and that'd had, be eighty nine. Lou was the, the play. Lou called right.
1: play. So Lou right. and Alvarez in nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because the the um, the the so like if you talk to some folks who maybe were a little bit older and and because Jim Strong was the OC, was the OC in 89 and uh, 88 and 89. But again, as you said, Lou was the play caller, which is right. the premise of what we're talking about here. Barry Alvarez did obviously phenomenal with those two teams. But uh, if you talk to some people around the program, they'll tell you those early 90 offenses were really, really good, but not a lot of people liked um, Rick Minner and uh, Gary Darnell. No, 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 those were the issues. No. The coordinators were the issues. Yeah. Um, you know, and then of course you, you know, you get into the Davy era and, and, and Davey, was a good D coordinator, but he wasn't, I don't think he was the, he, he wasn't as good as the reputation maybe that people had. And by then, you know, I don't know that Lou was as locked in to doing, you you know, we've heard a lot of things about he was doing more recruiting or wasn't doing as much recruiting was doing more of the speaking and things like that. And and wasn't quite the same guy he was early on.
2: Do you think Lou fell prey to teams that made it tough like in his hire? Right. Like, you know, he, they had close games with Texas AM. All of a sudden, Bob Davy is like, it's like, it's almost like it's the guys that he faced that he felt like, oh, okay, they gave us a little run for our money. Like, yo, you know, maybe, maybe
1: I should bring them here
2: instead mm-hmm. of, you know, just going outside of the box. And
1: That's an interesting take. That's a very interesting take. Uh, I mean, well, who would it be other than, Cause mentor was met, yeah. the mentor come. Where did he come from? Pitt. What? What did mentor come from? Let me go find it real quick. I'll find the mentor one. Yeah, because yeah, I mean Bob Davy came from A and M. Although mm-hmm. you know R C Slocum obviously was running those defenses. But let's see where uh, where Rick Minter came from. Rick Minter previously was coaching at, before Notre Dame. He was the defense. He was, where are we at, 1988? Boy, that guy's coached a lot of dang places. <laughs> uh, he was at Notre Dame from 92, 93. Before that, he was at Ball State. Ball State. The coordinator at Ball State. So, yeah. Okay. That, now, let's see, look at Gary Darnell. Darnell. Gary Darnell, before he came to Notre Dame, was at Florida. Florida. He was a okay. D.C. at Florida. So, Um. Yeah, those those are interesting, interesting hires. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Maybe. Charlie fell victim to that with John Tenuta. Yeah, I yeah. think he. I think I think John Tenuta gave him fits in 20, 2006. Mm-hmm. and he's like, "This guy's a really good coach," and he yeah. really wasn't.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed.
1: I'll say I think the the best OCDC combo in 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 the last I'll I'll say it's actually the best combo. This here's the combos that are in consideration for me. 2017, Mike Elko, Chip Long to me was really good. Yeah. With all due respect to Clark Lee, who who had better defenses than Mike Elko because he built on the foundation that Mike Elko laid. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Chip Long Mike Elko 2017 was really dynamic. Chuck Martin, Bob Diaco in 2012 was pretty good as well. Uh, Although I I don't know that Chuck Martin had as much say as maybe Mike Denbrock had. I would have loved to have seen Mike Denbrock and Mike Elko in 2017. Yeah, I really would have loved to have seen that. Uh, And and, you know, you look at Charlie's era. I mean, Charlie was the OC. He never had a good defensive coordinator. Never. Uh, Ty terrible coordinator combination especially on offense I mean Bill Dietrich nice guy I've heard but just no and then you look at Bob Davy. I mean you know, Bob Davy had some some years where you thought he had made some great hires I mean I remember when he hired Kevin Rogers I was like hey this is this is gonna be all right you know and and Jim Coletto had come from Purdue and he had had a you know Jim Col- like on paper this is the thing about Bob Davy. on paper some of the moves that Bob Davy made made a lot of sense. I mean, if you remember, Sean, when he hired Jim Coletto, Jim Coletto was the head coach at Purdue, right? And he was the o- he was, and before that, he was the OC at Ohio State and Arizona State. Like that hire made a lot of sense. But and, and then, and he hired uh, Greg Madison was his first D coordinator. Was a good football coach, and then he hires Kevin Rogers from Virginia Tech, who had done a really good job at Virginia Tech, and. Or, I mean, excuse me, at Syracuse. I'm sorry. Right. With like, with, um, under uh, McNabb, in, was, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. He was because McNabb was in '98. He was, yeah. it was his last year. So he had, he was the OC the last two years under Donovan. And, and, uh, and he was the quarterback's coach when Marvin Graves was there. Yeah. So like he, he, but, but then Davey never let him run the offense the way he wanted to run the, the offense. That was always run. the problem. So, so Davey actually on paper, had some pretty good staffs with, with Jim Coletto and Greg Madison and then Kevin Rogers and Greg Madison. He just never let them – he never let the offensive coaches coach. Uh-huh. He was always trying to like – he just never let them establish an identity. So on paper, when you look at Charlie, Ty, and Davey, Davey actually had the better on-paper s- coaching staffs. He was just kind of the big issue. And, and, and he was also suffering from – he was the pr- – he was the Manchurian candidate of head coaches. He was the ad because he went behind Lou's back, and there's yeah. a lot of sat, you know stuff where he kind of got in the right people's and like, hey, we'll prop this guy up because he's going to do what we say, mm-hmm. and he's not going to rock the boat. And he just complained about, you know, what I mean. He he wasn't rocking the boat because Lou would go in there and just demand stuff. Right. You can't do this, Lou. So screw you. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm Lou Holtz. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or Davey was going to kind of you know uh, be a go along, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so. He was the problem. He actually had some good coaches on that staff. I mean, Urban Meyer was on his staff. I mean, he had yeah. some good football coaches on that staff. And and what's funny is Ty actually had a pretty good staff. He just had bad coordinators, and he wasn't a very good coach. I mean, but, like, he had – I mean, there was one year, Sean, I forget what year it was. He had Mike Denbrock, Trent Miles, uh, Steve Wilkes. Uh, I mean, they had some good coaches on their staff, and I actually thought Kent Bear was a pretty decent coach as well. But it, it was interesting to watch like position coach.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh it was interesting to watch some of those assistants go on to have success, but he was bad in this coordinator. I mean, his offensive coordinator was the hires were really bad. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, 17 in the last 25 years, would you say 17? Chip Long and Mike the best that we've seen.
2: Best duo, and then yeah. they probably the, the best, best duo. trio.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean that's, yeah. That I mean, gosh, it's kind of yeah. Yeah. I mean that seventeen Chip Long and Mike Elko and Brian Kelly, and I and yeah. I would argue on paper this one's better because Chip yeah. hadn't really. I mean Chip was coming off. I mean he had established himself. I'm establish just looking at what them. they right. did, what right. they accomplished. Yeah. If you looked at with that group that. Trio that duo would not have been on my radar going into the season because Chip was an unknown. But what he did and what he proved himself to be at Notre Dame was pretty darn good offensive coordinator. And then obviously yeah. Mike Elko was really good. So I'd say 17 was the only one that can compete with this. But this one to me is more proven and established than that one is for sure. Yeah. Best overall staff since when same. I mean, 17 staff was pretty good. You had Harry He stand on that staff. You know, I'd, I'd say this staff top to bottom is better just because, I mean, the coordinator hires when you're better, but, like, you're not as good on the O-line, but you're not terrible there. I think you're way better at receivers coach. You're way better at running backs coach than you were in 17 with with d Land compared to Autry Denson. You know, your D-line coach is uh, potentially a wash. You could argue the 17 D-line coach is better, Mike Elson, and I would argue Mike Elson's better, but it's not tremendously so, and I think Al Washington has a chance to maybe turn that Conversation around a little bit. You know, linebackers coach, you know, Max Bull, I thought did a pretty heck of a job. And with all due respect to whoever was coaching the secondary, they're not Mike Mickens. So I, I think this is the best coaching staff he's had. I mean, the early 90s coaching staffs were excellent. They just didn't have good D coordinators, but the overall staffs were really good. So overall staff, Sean, it's the early 90s since the early 90s. I mean, you had Joe Moore, Coach Neil Line. I mean, those are some darn good coaching staffs. So, I mean, in, in anytime you're talking about something's the best since when Lou Holtz is here, that's a that's a place to be. Iden Banami, my man, with the question: Do all these hiring con- hirings and contracts have Pete Bavakwa's name all over it? Well, probably have a signature since he's running things now. But what would you say, Sean? Do you think these are Pete Bavakwa moves? Do you think these would not have happened with Jack Swarbrick? Oh what are your man. thoughts on that?
2: I think the apparel deal was in the works. I think they just went through the motions of like hearing from Adidas, hearing from Nike, but I think that had been in the works. Definitely, you know, the funding and getting the funding for all of these upgrades and facilities had been in the works for years. So the only aspect that I think Pete is probably directly connected to would be the TV deal Uh, from a consulting standpoint. I think that was something that Probably real negotiations started last year and kind of coincide when Pete was actually having conversations with Jack, having conversations with Marcus Freeman, you know, so that kind of coincides. But the other things, I think the ball was rolling on those things. And and that's that's going to be Jack Forbes' legacy. Right. His legacy is going to continue for... If Notre Dame wins a championship, right. you're gonna have to give you have to give Jack some credit.
1: To your point, Sean, that. Pete Bavakwa is not coming in here as part of a coup to overthrow Jack Swarbrick. Hmm. Jack Swarbrick had a role in finding his replacement. So yes, right. I mean that's. Mm-hmm. Here's a question, Sean, from Brent Smith: Who is a better football coach, Ryan Day or Brian Kelly? Brian Kelly. I mean, yeah. Easy answer. That's, yeah. not comp- that's, that's not even that's, close. No. Not even close. Nope. Brent Smith also asks, how many points will Notre Dame average per game in 2024? What's an acceptable number? 35 to 37 and a half. He's asking if that's an acceptable number.
2: I think they're going to average 30, over 38. Mm-hmm. Honestly, when it's all said and done, especially against this schedule, yeah, I think they're going to average over 38. I, yeah. Anything on under- the... I anything under 37, but I would be disappointed.
1: It depends on why. And he, at the end of the day, Sean, I'll be surprised if it's under 37. Mm-hmm. But if they're at 36 and a half, but it's because they're not running the score up. Because like some of the teams that we look at, like the Mac, they're not – the Mac teams are somebody – Andrew Gilmore, was talking about, oh, I can't believe they're playing two MAC teams. I'm like, well, Ohio State plays playing two MAC teams. Penn State's playing two MAC teams. Like this isn't normal. This isn't abnormal. But the thing about the two MAC teams, they were both bowl teams last year. Miami right. won 11 games. They're not going to go hang 52 on Miami like they did last no. time, and because they didn't, they didn't play well against Miami in 17, and they still hung 52 yeah. on them. Yeah. If they hang 52 on them this year, it's like that's a heck of a freaking game. Um all I care about is do they play well against AM and Louisville and, and USC and in and, and the post, like those Florida State, that's what I care about. Yeah. I think the result will be 37 plus as it should be. And, and you know, the last, I mean, Mike Denbrock had some offenses that scored pretty good points in Notre Dame in the past, but I mean, their offense in 2015 only scored 34 and a half points per game. Yeah. There were some reasons for that, one of which was your defense was pretty terrible. You know, but you know, that's the thing we're gonna find out, Sean is is can they can they score into the big games? I mean, that 15 offense as good as it was. They only scored 22 against Clemson, they only scored 19 against BC, 20 against so, I mean 24 against Temple, like they they had some of those ugly games, but they because they were I mean, they were not a very good red zone team that year because Deshaun Kaiser made a ton of red zone mistakes. I mean, I mean, this BC and Temple alone, he threw four red zone interceptions in those two games alone. Yeah. You know, I mean, just so you, you have if your quarterback doesn't do that again, then I mean, if if, if he's a better it, if they were remotely healthy on offense, that's a 38 to 40 point team. I mean, you saw it in the first game of the year. Yeah. You know, like that's an offense that's going to rip people up. Yeah. You got Torian Folson and Malik the rest of the year. <sighs> yeah. But yeah, it, it, I'm with you, Sean. I mean, minimum 37 is the floor for me. My expectation, but if it's if it's 42 and they still don't play well in the big games, I don't care. Yeah, right. If, if, yeah. if it's, it's got if it's 37.1 or 36.5, but they score enough to beat Florida State and those teams to get to the postseason and all. And I also think we need to separate what's the regular season point per game total compared to what the postseason point per game total because I have a feeling in this format we're not going to see the same high-scoring affairs throughout the playoff that we've seen in the past, where right. in the past you get a month to prepare for the semifinal game and then 10 days to prepare for the title game. This, now you got four games of 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 that that you've got to deal with. So I, I think semifinals and championship are going to be a little less scoring than what they were in the semifinals and championship recently. Mm-hmm. Let's get through some of these here, Sean. Uh, real quick question here. Uh, Andrew Gilmore says, Brian, do we have the speed on offense to win big? I think you and I would both agree, Sean. The answer to that is yes. I'm gonna say yes because I don't want to offend Chris Mitchell. Well, uh, I, mean, I mean, running back, you got two four four guys at running back as, in your starting lineup. Don't say I four mean, four
2: and Chris Mitchell in the same know, sentence. Right? Like, don't
1: do that. I mean, it's not. It's like, buddy, I'm not disrespecting. You, it's still moving. Like, yeah, I, you know, Jordan Faison can run. Cam mm-hmm, Williams can run. Yeah, Eli Raritan's pretty fast for a six seven turn. Of, Notre Dame's got plenty. Your quarterback's probably a four five four six guy. Yeah, speed is not Notre Dame's problem. Jordan Faison, very, very, very explosive athlete. How fast is he? I don't know, but he moves really well. I don't know that he's a true burner burner, but that if he's a if he's a four four eight, he's a four four eight step one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, speed is speed on. If Notre Dame's not as good as they need to be this year, Sean, we will not be looking at it. Talking, about, it, we may use it as a cheap excuse, but speed won't be the real problem that this team yeah. has. Here's another one, Sean. Um, What do you think about Matt Luke taking the O-line job at Clemson when Notre Dame wanted him before Joe Rudolph?
2: I mean, Matt Luke
1: would have been a – he wouldn't have been my
2: top choice during that O-line search. Um, There was a time when you almost felt like he was going to be the guy that ends up in Notre Dame. But this this is – let me tell you something. You want to talk about – Somebody under the microscope on the Notre Dame stand, its Joe Rudolph this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, Notre it's its Joe no Rudolph.
1: Doubt. Like, okay, you know, bro. I'll say this: speaking specifically about Matt Luke, I think it's a great hire for Dabo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Luke's a very good offensive line coach. Yeah, that's a great hire. And the thing is, he, they're gonna—he's gonna inherit a, some pretty talented kids. Young that were young, yeah. yeah. I mean, he he's going to have a good roster. I think Matt Luke's Matt Luke just wasn't a head coach. No, it's simple as that. And he wouldn't have been if there wasn't all the issues with the coach getting fired for you know. I mean, he's an O line coach. Yeah, that's what he is. And I think he's a pretty good one. I'd have been I'd have been very happy if he was hired last year. Um, so yes, to your point, Joe Rudolph has a lot to prove. Nicholas Grosh, who are your top recruits at the skill positions and left tackle in the twenty five recruiting class, regardless of whether Notre Dame is recruiting those players. I have. I'm not there yet for you, Nicholas. I haven't been able to evaluate enough of the class. Sean, have you? I don't. I mean, David I mean, Sanders at left tackle is an David easy Sanders, answer, right? Yeah, that's that's the kid out of North Carolina,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Skill All positions. Right. I mean, I think some of them. Their names recruiting. Taylon Taylor, Dallas Golden, Mark Zachary. Yeah. Uh, there's a um, there's a kid from uh, Cunningham, a receiver I've seen is really good. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of. I'd have to go back. There's a couple. I've watched some of the receivers that are. Jamie French is a really good player. All right. Uh, there's some guys like that. I'd have to go back and look, Nicholas. That that's a good question, but that's more of a message board one where I can kind of look through the lists and oh yeah, I've seen that guy, I've seen that guy, I've yeah. seen that guy. Those are good players. Here's a comment from Andre Tonso. He says, In recruiting, I want quality, a player, not just quantity. Quality in a player. Yeah, I mean that's that's where that's 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 100 percent correct, Andre. And that's to me, Brian Kelly often fell short in one or the other. They didn't have great quality, but they they come up short in numbers or they'd have the numbers and not the impact Marcus Freeman's last two classes in 23 and 24 hit, no hit hit it in both Sean. yeah, They met all their needs numbers wise, and they landed impact players on both sides of the ball. And that's why we've said that the ability to acquire talent, the talent acquisition operation, in Notre Dame is tremendously better than it was before. One of the OGs. I haven't seen him in a while. David Knight, if college recruiting classes, this is a great point, Sean, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. If college recruiting classes were rated similar to NFL drafts. It'd be totally different concerning ratings. How did you how do you did you fill the gaps on your team? He's talking about like you don't just rank an NFL draft. Hey, you got these five players. It's like, okay, yeah. this was a need, that was a need, here's the value you got in that round. And I think that's the ultimate flaw of recruiting rankings is it does not at all address did you meet your needs? Yes, you land 10 top 100 players but it was at the same positions you got top 100 players last year. And your O-line still sucks, and your D-line still sucks, or your quarterback, you know what I mean? And that's the thing that just doesn't take into account. It does not evaluate, need, balance, things like that, which in NFL draft, because NFL draft is not a rating system, Sean. It's a, it's a subjective, like, okay, Here's you. You had this need, and you got the best guy there. You you got a great deal. You got a steal here. You got this guy at you know 50 when you know, we had him ranked in the top 30 for whatever reason. I think he's right. I think if if yeah. you look at it that way, t- people will be looking at these classes a, a little bit. I mean, would Georgia still be ranked in the top two or three? Yeah. I mean, because yeah. they do it right. Yeah. You know, other teams will not be ranked as high every year. A and M would not have had the number one ranked class in the country two years ago. If they took into account need, balance, filling, balance. You know, all those types of right. things. Right. Right. Yeah, you're gonna have the world's greatest defensive line, but you're not gonna be able to cover anybody, or you're not gonna be able to, you know, make tackles at the linebacker level or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a great point. We've got a super chat from Andrew Gilmore. Thank you, Andrew. Do you think Matt Rule does his usual major step forward in year two at Nebraska?
2: No. I mean, what's major? I yeah. mean, do they get better? Yeah, I think they get yeah, better so. as a team, but I don't think they take a major
1: step. Well, Nebraska last year went five and seven. And when I look at this Nebraska football team, I mean, there was three games they just flat out should have won. And when I look at this football team, Sean, in 2024, I mean, there's a lot to like about what Nebraska could be in 2024, but dude, their schedule is going to be, I mean, I'll say this, Sean, I would say yes if they weren't adding – the teams to the league that they're adding because like Nebraska wouldn't have to play at USC, wouldn't have to play UCLA. Now they don't get Oregon or Washington, which is nice. They play at Ohio state. They play I mean, their schedule is pretty tough this year. They're non-conference UTEP, Colorado, Northern, Northern Iowa should be a three and in those games, but you know, Colorado could be a tougher game. They get Illinois at home, Rutgers at home at Purdue to start the season. There's a chance they start five and one. There's a chance they to start six and one at Indiana. After that, their last five games at Ohio State, home against UCLA, at USC, home against Wisconsin, at Iowa. They could go seven and five this year and be much better as a team than they were in 2023, but it only looks like a two-game improvement because the schedule's a lot tougher.
2: That's that's why I asked. Right? Look, right. those last two games, don't get it twisted. Ending the season with Iowa and Wisconsin, that's Mm-hmm. That's tough. Yeah, and their season literally might come down to those last two games and how they
1: fare. Yeah. So I I would say, I think Matt Rule can take a major step forward in year two. I just don't know that it's going to be reflected in the record the way that we may think. It's not. I mean, yeah. if he's if they're ten and two this year against that schedule with that roster, which is better but not great, he's in the national coach of the year conversation. If They go nine and three. That's a heck of a coaching job, but it would it won't necessarily look like a huge step forward. Yeah, if they win seven or more games, that's a good. That's a pretty good step forward. If they win eight or more, then he did a heck of a job. Mm-hmm. So I would say, Sean, if we're looking at it uh, subjectively, I you know I, I think it would be yes, he can. If we're looking at it, will the record look major step forward? Um, no. I mean, let's, let's just look real quick, Sean, kind of what we're talking about here. So at temple, they went from two and 10 to six and six to 10 and four. Can they make a four game improvement? Maybe that's five and seven to nine and four. Uh Maybe. Are they going to go from one and 11 to seven and six? Are they going to make a six game improvement? That means that they go 11 and one. No. So, so record wise, it's not going to be the big jump. Um, to me, it's, it's, it'll be like more like eight and four, nine. And th- I could see them going eight and four, nine and right. three. I mean, it, if they had anybody other than Jeff Sims on their team in the first month of the season last year, they went two more They went, they go seven to five. I mean, right. he he literally cost them multiple football games. But you're the one that recruited him to go there. Yeah. So you know, that's kind of part of it. Last one, Sean. We have a super chat from Sean S. Is there a wide receiver duo on the current roster or on the way that could become as exciting as the Stovall Samarja duo? Have missed that. Uh, don't expect to see a pairing as elite as Floyd and Tate again. Well, I, I, I think you can see a pairing as elite as them again. I don't know if it's on the current roster, but I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. But Samarja stovall duo, Sean. Do you think that there's any combination on the current roster? Because part of this is like you know timing. You know, Cam Williams is a freshman. You know, Chris Mitchell is a sixth year. It's not going to be the same as if Cam was a junior and. Chris was a senior, like Stovall and Cam.
2: Cam and Jaden could become that, right? Cam as a sophomore, Jaden as a junior,
1: or even junior senior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they could become that. So, Stovall and, yeah. so, and were juniors and seniors when they had their breakout, right? So, and in Floyd and Tate, we never really saw for an entire season. No, it's one history. year, right? I mean, yeah. we saw them together for we saw them together for two years, two eight and nine. Right. Mm-hmm. Floyd missed chunks of the season both times right. with injury. Mm-hmm. And and so we never saw him like for a full season. Yeah. Still, Doval Samarja? I mean, look, Cam and Faison. I mean, Cam and Micah Gilbert. Um, You know, Gilbert and great. I mean, like, so that's the thing. There's plenty of combinations that could become that, Sean. I mean, yeah. certainly. And then what are they going to add in 25? I mean, yeah. so, yeah, I, I could see that. I could see them. Now, they're, it's going to look different because they're different types of players. But I could see some combination of Jordan Faison, Jaden Greathouse, Cam Williams, Micah Gilbert, with whatever they get in 2025 that could be Stovall and Samarja when they get older, certainly. I. But I think what, what could make them so good is that it won't just be Stovall, Samarja with Matt Shelton. It won't be Samarja and McKnight with David Grimes. Right right and then Robbie Paris or whoever else coming off the bench like what what can make this dynamic is maybe you don't have a one two that's Stovall Samarja or Floyd Tate but your three your four your five your six are gonna be way better than the three four five and six of those past teams like are they are they gonna have a Justin Jefferson Jamar Chase no I don't see that on the current roster now but I also would not have seen Justin Jefferson be that as a true freshman either no but like I don't see that but it's it's more about, but good lord, this group of four or five guys with the tight ends are just dynamic, and yeah. and to me, it, it's the all there's there, there's you can win that way also. It's
2: almost like, well, in a different way, because they had a star. I don't know if they had duos, but it just seems like Oklahoma would just have like whoever the seniors were were really good, and then they would have a CD Lamb as a freshman. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That would get, like, five to seven snaps a game, make a play, and they just kept it And then when going. that guy
1: graduates, mm-hmm. the next guy steps in. Yeah. 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 Well, like, USC had some offenses like that. Where they had great offenses, but they had, like, no number one receiver. No. They had, like, three or four really good players. Yeah. You know? And
2: yeah. um, remember, Steve Smith was, like, the third receiver on that 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 05-06 uh, team. But Steve Smith was making huge plays. Right. Right. At Dwayne right.
1: Jarrett, Steve I mean, Smith. Like the, Dwayne Jarrett, to me, was not a star. No. I mean, he put up big numbers. But like you said, you had Steve Smith. You had Dominique Burge. You had mm-hmm. Reggie coming out of the backfield. I mean, that's that's the thing. is like you, you can have depth of talent as well as not, you know. Yeah. As, and not just studs, you know. So, I think Steve, like I'm trying to think some some different units like that. But like I thought Tennessee was a lot like that. I never I didn't think any of those Tennessee kids last year were stars. And mm-hmm. I know they were drafted high. I thought they were they were more about the they were all very good players, but it was the it was the the, the group of them together is what made them so dangerous. Jalen Hyatt, Brew McCoy, you know, mm-hmm. Cedric Tillman, Squirrel White, Ramel Caton. I mean, it just they had somebody could hurt you. Mm-hmm. in different games depending on who you tried to who you tried to stop somebody could beat you and it you know so you could take this one guy out of the game but then this other guy was going to step up and make plays against you you know and and that's that's to me what made him really hard to defend and and it also helped him be able to be successful even though they lost players i mean you know you had you had cedric tillman get hurt and you know he doesn't play against alabama so Ramel Caton steps in and catches five passes for 78 yards. You know what I mean? I mean, Brew McCoy goes out in that game and catches two passes for 38 yards. You know what I mean? And, of course, Jalen Hyatt went off. So um, it's that. It's it's that depth of talent plus what they have at tight end and, and the running back that's going to make it so good. So, Sean, my man, that's going to do it. Thank you to the Super Chats. Why don't you go and take us out of here, man? Hey, thanks
2: everybody joining us on the RTCF show right here, Irish Breakdown. Don't forget for all of your recruiting news, intel, and just overall great conversation amongst the Notre Dame fan base and Ivy Nation. You need to go sign up, boards.irishbreakdown.com. Very inexpensive. You definitely get the bang for your buck. Go to YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. Hit the like button. Hit the notification bell and share and let everybody know. Irish Breakdown is the place to be. For Brian Driscoll, I'm Sean Davis. Have a fantastic rest of your weekend, and we'll see you next time right here on the Irish Breakdown Podcast.